application. Hey, please take your Bibles if you brought them today. Open them up to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 1, looking at verses 12 through 18 today. All right, so last week we just started this series, so if you're a guest today or you weren't here last week, um, this is our series title, Going Further in the Joy of Faith. Last week we looked at Paul's concern that the believers uh, be filled with joy. That's down in verse 25 of chapter 1. Um, our series proposition is actually found in the fourth chapter, and uh, the fourth verse Rejoice in the Lord always. This is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's listed in Galatians chapter 5. And uh, sometimes as Christians, we walk around not looking too joyful. Uh, but we need to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, easier said than done, right? Uh, but today we're going to look at Paul's life and look at some very trying and difficult circumstances and see that even in the midst of those, Paul had joy. So today, as we look at this, let's just go ahead and read our text, verses 12 through 18. I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. 14, and many of the brethren in the Lord, becoming confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ out of contention, not sincerity, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Verse 18. What then? Notwithstanding every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in that I do, what's our key word here? Rejoice. Uh, so he does rejoice, uh, yea, and he will rejoice. So Paul demonstrated a confident joy in the midst of his circumstances. Now, the Philippians were very concerned for him. Uh, they had sent uh, relief to him, uh, they had sent some of their own people to him to try to help him. Uh, he's in jail. And we learned last week that jail in the ancient world is not like jail in today's culture, all right? Uh, where you get three square meals and you get television and you get the weight room and you get courtyard time and you can lift weights. And you didn't do that in Paul's day. And uh, as a matter of fact, he was most likely chained to a guard uh, most of his day, but yet he demonstrated joy, confident joy, in the midst of his situation, and so the joy of Paul's life was grounded in his Christ-centered approach to life, and so we see uh, that here, verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. Paul's life was about Jesus the palace guard, 
knew that he was in custody for Christ's sake. He wasn't a murderer. He wasn't a thief. Uh, he hadn't extorted. Uh, he hadn't uh, done anything against the government. He's in bonds because of his message of Jesus Christ. And so Paul rejoices in this. And um, so we see uh, his attitude. Now, if you take your Bibles and go over to a remarkable passage, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28, um, Paul talks about what happened to him as an individual Christian trying to share Jesus with other people. And if this were you and I, we would quit. But Paul finds joy in Christ, even in the midst of all what happens to him. So here's just a, a catalog of the things that happened to him. This is found in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, uh, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness, besides the other things. Wow. He's just like saying, my list is not exhaustive. Besides all of these other things. The things that I've just announced to you. So, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. You know that God gives pastors to a church, and they have deep concern for you. You're the church, by the way. Right? So let's look here at Paul's uh, point here is that his chains caused him to rejoice in the advance of the gospel. So let's go back to verse 12. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that these things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. When we live by faith, sometimes the circumstances that we live in life don't match up to the facts of faith. And if we have our focus on circumstances instead of Christ, then our faith begins to waver. And we begin to struggle in our walk with the Lord. So Paul is saying, I want you to understand something as new believers, as younger Christians. I want you in the Philippian church to understand the adversities that have happened to me actually are a blessing to God because his gospel has been advanced. Now remember our series title, Going Further in the Faith. This idea is found in the end of verse 12 for the furtherance of the gospel. So Paul assures the Philippian saints that the circumstances have not only failed 
to curtail his missionary work, but they actually have advanced it. Um, they've brought about a pioneer advance in regions that had been not known. You're going to say, well, what pioneer region was there in advance that was not previously known? So we looked at that word furtherance in verse 12 last week. Uh, we understood that it was the, uh, the, the, the work core of the army that was on the frontier, and they would go into a region and they would prepare the way for the rest of the army. So literally, they're, they're working with tools to chop down trees or to build roads, and why they're doing that, they're keeping a watchful eye for an attack. So that they're the pioneer advance into new territory. Um, how many of you ever have heard of Hadrian's Wall in, in England? All right. Um, so that is still present today. Some of the ancient Roman roads that went into pioneer regions, they're still around today. And so this was a military word for a pioneer advance. Now, the particular pioneer advance that is mentioned here in verse 13 says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in where? All the palace and in other places. This is remarkable. In Caesar's palace? Absolutely. Um, God does things that go way beyond what we think are possible. Now, I'm just going to share with you a true life story about our current president. Several years ago, he had a son that died. You know that, right? And as his son was dying, uh, a Navy chaplain, a gospel-preaching Navy chaplain within our fellowship of churches was able to go to the hospital room. And President Biden, who was the vice president at that time, was in that room. And he was able to share the gospel. So I know that our president has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we never know the ways that our life ends up being an advancement of the gospel. We, we think of our circumstances many times as working against us. But here it's actually working out for the furtherance of the gospel. So the, the guards that were watching Paul were guards of the palace guards. These, these were not just your ordinary Roman guards. They were, if you will, the honor guard. They were the guards that received double pay. They were palace security. And because of Paul's legal situation that he was in, then he was in that Roman legal system. And it worked its way up to the top. And so he's in prison, but yet he's waiting for his trial it, it, he's in that imperial court system. And so the gospel here has actually gone out in the furtherance. Now it's not easy. When you think of that pioneer contingent of the army going forward into that new territory, folks, that's hard work. It's back-breaking labor. You might lose your joy. And as I was looking at this this week, I, 
was, was looking at my own life and saying, wow, Lord, I've got to put this into practice here. Um, we, we have to maintain this in our life, uh, this, this attitude. So here's a couple of things if you want to look at this. Um, the contact with the lost. Now, you heard about the Battle of the Bulge during World War II when the Americans were retreating. They kind of left a little pocket, and the Germans were surrounding them, and the German general sent a, uh, a, a letter of inviting the Americans to surrender, and uh, the American general just wrote back one word, nuts, all right? There's no way that we're going to surrender, and he basically told his men, you can fight in any direction, all right? And so that was a, a positive attitude, but yet it was, it was hard work. But they had contact with the enemy in any direction that they went. When you walk out of this building today, you have contact with the lost in any direction you go. That difficult co-worker, that difficult boss, that mean family member, that cruel, hateful neighbor, that stranger at the park that you'll be talking with. No matter where you go, you have contact with the lost. And Paul is rejoicing. I've got contact with those that need to hear the gospel message. My good friend who is pastor emeritus over in San Francisco, Dave Innes, uh, he says about ministry in San Francisco that the light is custom made for darkness. Uh, one of the people that is a member in his church has a flower shop downtown uh, San Francisco. And as she went into work this week, there was this homeless man <clears throat> laying in, in front of her door. And um, so she had to communicate with that homeless person to, you know, move so she could open up her business. And <clears throat> he was very apologetic. Oh, I'm so sorry. And uh, she's like, hey, listen, do you need a cup of coffee? And so she, she got him up off the sidewalk and brought him in and uh, gave him some food and gave him some coffee and started sharing Jesus Christ with him. And she was able to have permission to take his picture and just say, pray for this man. This is a homeless man on the streets of San Francisco. Hey, listen, we sometimes look at things and we're, we're irritated with what's going on in society. Crime and addiction and, and just the chaos. Folks, that's contact with the lost. And we can go into pioneer advances with the gospel. Um, unlike many years ago, there was a homeless woman that was laying in the front of our church and one of our members pulled up and told them to get lost. As there's a different perspective there. You, you, not this church, right? Um, so there's a difference in perspective. Look at that person that's irritating you, that seems to be interrupting you as your divine appointment for the day and that you have an opportunity to rejoice and contact with the lost. And then it resulted in courage for the saved. So look with me at verse 14 and 15. 
and many of the brethren in the Lord, becoming confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ out of contention, not sincerely supposing to add to affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for, for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in that I do rejoice, yea, I will rejoice. So, greater progress of the gospel. His circumstances have turned out this way. And so when you have the, that single mind, you look on your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel, you rejoice in what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God has not done. And since Rome had not de declared Christianity illegal at this time, Paul had committed no crime. He was in prison for Christ's sake. And so the question here, uh, beginning in verse 13, is why is he in jail? Well, notice with me um, that the bonds are in Christ, verse 13. Uh, being confident by my bonds, verse 14. Uh, it resulted in confidence for the brethren. Um, the gospel went through the barracks of the Roman soldiers, a place where it would not have gone if Paul were not a prisoner. And when you see the power of God do that kind of work, then your confidence is in God and what he can do. And then you focus upon the power of God to transform lives. And you get busy sharing Jesus. And there's just kind of that own special momentum that happens to a church people when one person gets saved and then another family member gets saved and then it, it just begins to, to multiply and to, to get its own momentum going. People become bold to share Jesus. You know, right now, folks, those that are the enemies of the gospel want Christians to cower. They want us to retreat. They want us to be quiet. And they're trying to create all kinds of pressures and, and legal pressures and, and troubles to get us to be silent trying to arrest Christians for even being on the sidewalks or in the marketplaces where there's supposed to be freedom of speech. And so they're the enemies of the gospel, but you know what? This actually, when you see what God does, turns into a great boldness for us. Not because we have laws to protect us, but because we have a God who works to advance his gospel through our lives. And we become confident of this. And so waxing confident comes from a word which means to persuade. These Christians had been persuaded by the brave and fearless example of Paul in prison and come to a state of settled confidence in the Lord. And then he says, and that most of the brethren... It distinguishes them from the brethren after the flesh, which would be Jews, his, his national ethnic people. So these brethren here are Christians. Um, and so they become more abundantly bold to speak 
the word. Now the phrase, in the Lord, um, is the basis for the confidence for other Christians to share the good news and seeing how Paul faced his own imprisonment. And so this is a source of great encouragement to other Christians as we look at this. Now they speak the word of God without fear, all right, at the end of verse 14. All right, now our chains might not be as dramatic or difficult, but there's no reason why God can't use them in the same way. Um, so don't become afraid of what God is doing in your life. Uh, fear is the opposite of love. And what defeats fear is love. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then Romans puts it this way. If God loved us when we were his enemies, how much more then does he love us when we're his children? So contact with the lost and courage and encouragement for the saved. This is why I would just encourage you amongst yourselves as you stand around after church. Maybe you can't do it today, maybe you can, all right? But just start telling stories of what happens when you share the gospel. You'd be surprised what God will do in a church when you just share. It doesn't have to be a 35-minute exposition of a scripture or passage, right? It can be just as simple as going through the drive-thru and handing out a gospel tract. And one time I had a lady tell me at, at, the, at the grocery store, I really needed this encouragement today when I gave her an invitation to church. There you go. Be confident in the Lord. Yeah, you might get that person. I don't need that, right? But don't let that stop you because God gives you courage. All right, so now, number two, Paul's critics caused him to rejoice in the advance of the gospel. So we see this beginning in verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of good will. So they wished, through envy, to transfer the credit of its progress from Paul to themselves. Um, it would make them feel good if they could make his sufferings in prison more acute by reason of jealousy which might arise in his heart. Ah, wait a minute. Maybe Paul struggled with this. Maybe he thought about it. Maybe he had a battle here. But he's sharing this is the outcome that God worked in his heart. I can rejoice even when Christians work trouble in my life. And then he points out what their motives are, all right? Um, he points out what the condition of their heart is. They preach Christ of envy and strife. But then at the end of verse 15, but there's also those that preach the gospel out of goodwill. Um, so the truth is that while there are some poor preachers who have poor motives, there are also other Christians and preachers that have goodwill. Okay? Um, you know, I, I remember years ago when I was a young man in my 20s, 
I was in a church in South Carolina, and um, they had a, a very vibrant ministry, and they still do today. But, um, and I'm not going to speak bad against Awana, all right, but I'm just going to tell you that um, one of the workers, key workers in Awana was just really ripping and trashing the pastor and just eating him up. And he was talking to me. And I said, you know what, brother? I said, that's just really disappointing. I'll give you a couple of days to go talk to pastor and share your burden with him. And then I'm going to follow up with pastor just to make sure that you did talk to him. I'll just ask the question, hey, has so-and-so talked to you yet? And so a couple of days went by, and I went and asked the pastor. I said, hey, has uh, brother so-and-so talked to you? No, they, they haven't. I said, well, I think you ought to have a conversation with them. I'll let them share what's on their heart. And uh, what they were jealous about was Awana didn't get the budget that they wanted. And so they were just ripping things together. So there was jealousy and rivalry in that church over one ministry seeming to have preference over the other ministry, and it didn't have seem to have the preference. And so Paul is saying here, look, uh, there were these preachers that were preaching out of envy and, and jealousy and strife that was causing contentions. So this is not good, and that seems to be sometimes the way that churches can work. We have to be careful of this. But then, here's the good news, all right? Uh, there are those that are preaching of goodwill. So motives stay pure. The love for Jesus is true. It's not about kingdom building uh, for your own little earthly kingdom or your own little earthly program. It's about the glory of God and, and of Jesus Christ. So here in verse 16, he goes on to further explain this. The one preached Christ out of contention not sincerely. Now, remember that word, sincerely? Um, how you could know a piece of pottery was sincere was once it was fired in the kennel and then put out on the tables for, sell, uh, for sale, uh, you would pick it up and you would hold it up into the bright sunlight and you would turn it around and look at it. And if it was sincere, there would be no crack that had been waxed over. So to be sincere means without wax. So they were doing it without hypocrisy, without deception. Um, they were, here one preached Christ out of contention, not sincerely. So those of goodwill were sincere, but those that are not of goodwill, they're doing it out of deception, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Hey, let's make it harder for Paul in jail kind of thinking is that, that a Christian would have towards another Christian? Uh, that's not a good thing. Uh, wanting to, to, to make it much harder on Paul to add affliction. Uh, now, to add affliction means that he has affliction, and he has bonds, but yet it's not stopping him. The gospel is advancing. So Paul is not complaining, he's just stating the facts. And so, what should we do with all of this? So, in verse 17, he says that I am set for the defense of the gospel. This word set or appointed um, was a term for a military soldier on watch. 
being appointed to a task. So Paul's imprisonment and trial in Rome was not an accident, but God's predetermined plan. The life of Jesus was also appointed. For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his only begotten son. And so here Paul is saying, this is not all just random circumstances in life. There's meaning and purpose in it. Let me just tell you something. God does not waste pain in your life. A very dear young couple taught me that lesson years ago as they buried their stillborn child, their first son. God does not randomly throw things at you because he hates you or that he's trying to punish you or be mean and cruel in some way to you. That's not who our God is. He works all things together for what, folks? Good. To those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So there's a purpose in Paul's bonds. There's a purpose in Paul's afflictions. God is not wasting that pain. And so we go through pain. We have to keep in perspective. God's not going to waste this part of my life. There's some great value in what is taking place. And so this is that term, set or appointed. And so the life of Jesus was appointed. And so we need to have that same theological worldview in our life, you should say, I'm set or I am appointed by God for the defense of the gospel, not for my own account. So here's another thing that's hard to do sometimes. It's to what Charles Spurgeon said, have a blind eye, a deaf ear, and the skin of an alligator. I think we say it this way today. Keep our egos out of the way. I think that's what Charles Spurgeon was trying to say. So it's not about us, it's about Paul. I'm sorry, it's not about Paul, it's about Christ. And so this is very interesting. This word contention means to canvas for office, to get people to support you. Paul's aim was to glorify Christ and get people to follow Christ. His critics' aim, however, was to promote themselves and win a following of their own. The defense of the gospel. Um, set to defend the gospel. This is uh, the Greek word apologia, uh, where we get our Christian ministry of apologetics. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be a Christian. No, no, it means, this is why I'm a Christian. Because I, I have things that are confident in my faith. And so we set forth a reason. So Paul is excited. Because when he goes to the court... He's going to confidently set forth and articulate and explain why he believes in Jesus in such a reasoned and, and logical manner that those in the legal proceedings could understand it. So Paul is excited about that. That's what he's been set to do in life. And so the greatness then of Paul's heart here in verse 17 and uh, 18 is it's seen, all right? that he rejoiced in Christ, uh, that Christ was being preached, um, even if the proclaimer 
had poor motives, he's still rejoicing that Christ is advanced. And so the power is in the word, in the spirit of God, not in the sinful proclaimer. And so these certain ones, because of envy and rivalry, but others became of goodwill or proclaiming Christ. So here Paul is rejoicing in verse 18, whether in pretense or in, in truth, Christ is preached, and in that I do rejoice, yea, I will rejoice. So we see that um, the messengers were involved here, all right, regardless of what their motives are. Right? So in this room today, we're messengers. Some of us might have the right motive, some of us might have the wrong motive. Let the Holy Spirit evaluate what's going on in your heart. Then look at your motive. What is this life about? What is your life about? Is your life appointed to advance the gospel? Are you cooperating with why God left you here? The gospel is a wonderful thing. That's the message then that Christ has preached. You know, what a, what a beautiful message. We all need Jesus. Not a person in this room who's not broken. There's none righteous, what? No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Don't take that self-righteous, indignant view in comparing yourself with another human being. And you can look at the the drug addict on the street, or you can look at the, the thief or the adulterer, and you can see, yes, their life has obviously been ruined by sin. And you're sitting back and saying, I'm good. Well, you might have just that little BB hole in the window of your life, but you still have a broken window. And you need Jesus just as much as anyone else. If we offend in one point, we offend in all. Just one sin is enough to send us to hell. But this is why we need the gospel then. Because Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus as the just one died for us, the unjust. That he might reconcile or bring us to God. To bring us to a right standing before God. That we can have the righteousness of God deposited or credited to our account. It's not your righteousness, it's not my righteousness, it's not religious effort or merit, but rather the good work of Jesus. That he will apply to your life when you'll be humble enough to admit, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and there's no way I can save myself. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and dying to pay for my sin problem. Pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe your promise and in your goodness that if I ask you, you will save me. And that's the great news, isn't it? Whosoever will may come. God is not willing that how many should perish? Any, not one, 
That's why he sent Jesus. What a beautiful message to proclaim. What a beautiful message for our sister in San Francisco as she looked down at the front of her business and saw a homeless man standing there, or lying, lying there, and thinking to herself, I have an opportunity to advance the gospel today. That's why we're here, folks. That's what California needs. That's what America needs. Don't let circumstances rob us of our joy. We can rejoice that the gospel can advance. So even if you are a Christian whose mistake is their self-seeking, envious motive, not so much the error of doctrine, but the error of your practice, Paul was rejoicing the proclamation of Christ. However it was done, aroused attention so that it was sure to be of service. Paul could thus rejoice at the good result of their bad intention. And so in closing, let's go over to Psalm 76. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. So God can take even the envy, the jealousy, the wrath, and turn it into praise for his name. So Paul understood the gospel message superseded personal rivalries. And so that it has so many tremendous implications for us in the church. How we relate personally and theologically. And so, what should your feelings be in view of this? Okay? The only thing that, that follows is in every manner, whether in pretense or in truth, whether sincerely or insincerely, Christ is being announced, and you can rejoice. And he says, I will continue to rejoice. He's not going to let anything get in his way and stop him. So, life, life's circumstances, good or ill, do not determine your joy. Christ, in good circumstances or bad circumstances, in good relationships or in bad relationships, is the source of joy. And so one visible gauge of our joy in Jesus is the announcing of his gospel. So when we take Christ into every circumstances, we'll have joy. Paul was not the prisoner of Rome. He was the prisoner of Jesus Christ. The soldiers chained to his wrists were not guards. They were souls for whom Christ died. And so we do not allow circumstances to overcome us. We turn those circumstances into opportunity to magnify Christ. 